people who really want the truth? Can you handle the truth? Y'all are gonna have to calm yourselves or you won't make it through the hour. <laughs> because he's in the Hello and welcome to season two of Late Do You Remember This, a podcast where we look back on all the stories from Hollywood's best worst decade, the early 2000s, a time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. I'm your host, Dara Lane, with a new episode entitled They Found Love in a Hopeless Place, the Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes story. As I create today's episode, I do so in my home, which is mere blocks away from a Hollywood landmark. It's not the Getty Museum or the La Brea Tar Pits or Grauman's Chinese Theater because, ew, Hollywood and Highland is not a place where people should live. The landmark that I'm talking about has a dark history, and its presence looms over the neighborhood of Los Feliz, which is just east of Hollywood. Big Blue, Big Blue, the colloquial name for Scientology's headquarters in Los Angeles. It got its nickname for obvious reasons. The impressive Art Deco-style building is entirely painted in one shade of vibrant blue. At the top, enormous gold letters spell out the word Scientology, with an elaborate gold crucifix above it. Some people say Big Blue looks sinister. Some say it's an eyesore. I say it's camp, honey. Katy Perry should have dressed up as it for this year's Met Ball. It looks like Dracula Smurf built a castle in a rapidly gentrifying neighborhood, and I think it gives the area a touch of spooky whimsy. All the best cults experiment with a bold color scheme in one way or another. I say, if you're going to manipulate and abuse people, steal their savings, and separate them from their families, you might as well approach it with a sense of play. Of course, no one takes more impish delight in human rights violations than Tom Cruise. Just take those old records off the shelf. Now, I understand that might seem unfair. I sometimes forget that most people don't know much about Scientology, and if you're largely unaware, you could assume that I'm disparaging someone over their religion. Well, I'm not. It's a cult. I could go into the details, but St. Leah Remini has already done that legwork, so I'll just guide you to her A&E show for some supplemental viewing. If you already have a working knowledge of Scientology and agree that it's a cult, you might be asking why I would choose to dunk on Tom Cruise, who could be considered a victim in this situation. I suppose I haven't really dunked on Tom Cruise yet, but know that I'll be dunking him like he's a PE teacher in a water tank on field day. On second thought, I don't feel comfortable with using the phrase dunked on. I imagine it's something that only members of the pussy posse say without irony. Anyway, I don't see Tom Cruise as a victim of the church, at least anymore. Now, he's a high-ranking member who uses his influence as an A-list movie star to recruit people. In my eyes, that now makes him a perpetrator. You might remember the indoctrination video he starred in that leaked to the public in 2008. Being a Scientologist, when you drive past an accident, it's not like anyone else. As you drive past, you know you have to do something about it because you know you're the only one that can really help. How wild would it be if you got into a car accident and a good Samaritan who stopped to help said you were in good hands because they're a Scientologist? But as I always say, 
Better a Scientologist than a Christian scientist helping you during a medical emergency. In addition to Tom using his star power to recruit plebes, Tom also tried to convert co-workers. While filming the 2005 Steven Spielberg movie, War of the Worlds, Tom put up a tent on set that cast and crew members could visit to learn about Scientology. It's insane that Steven Spielberg would allow that on one of his sets and speaks to the power of Tom Cruise at that time that he could knuckle a director as powerful as Steven into allowing something so inappropriate. In fairness, at this time, Scientology wasn't so widely known as a cult. Actually, it was Tom Cruise who would end up inadvertently bringing a ton of bad press to the church. Regardless, the last thing a movie with hundreds of background actors needs is a tent filled with hungry Scientologists. It's a fact that the people most susceptible to joining a cult are Hollywood extras. Tom saw an opportunity to shoot fish in a barrel. He wasn't hoping some lifelong Catholic Teamster Union crew member would suddenly start bowing to Xenu. He wasn't hoping to get Tim Robbins to convince Susan Sarandon that L. Ron Hubbard had some salient points, though I will say it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility for her. No, he was aiming for the most vulnerable among us. The final reason why Tom Cruise is culpable is the fact that he is best friends with the head of Scientology, David Miscavige. David is a cheeky, violent little hellion who feeds off the souls of the living. His wife, Shelly, has been missing for 10 years. No one has seen her for 10 years. He says she's cool, just doing her own thing, a little eat, audit, love journey, but she is actually missing. If you don't know about Shelly Miscavige, look into it because she is a missing woman that no one is looking for. Sorry, this story has many tentacles, but David Miscavige is a cult leader who rules in the same way that all cult leaders do, with manipulation and an iron fist. Tom Cruise is his best friend. He's seen firsthand the way David treats people. In fact, Mike Rinder, who was a very senior executive of Scientology but has since left the church, said to Vanity Fair that the relationship between Tom and David is not what you'd expect between someone who claims to be a leader of the church and one of its adherents. Miscavige treats Tom Cruise like his best buddy and confidant. He's number two. That would be like the Pope saying Robert De Niro is like the College of the Cardinals. Mike Rinder is Australian and I thought I'd try on the accent. It's not my best? but it does feel good in my mouth. So with that preamble, we'll embark on another preamble as we navigate Tom's love life before Katie, which will end up informing many aspects of their future relationship. In 1987, a 24-year-old Tom Cruise married the 30-year-old actress Mimi Rogers. They were joined by Tom's mother and his best man, Emilio Estevez. At this point, Tom had done Risky Business in 83 and Top Gun in 86. His star was on the rise, but this was his first high-profile celebrity relationship. The most important thing to note about this marriage is that it was Mimi who got Tom into Scientology. Mimi was born into it, her father being a high-ranking member during the time when the founder, L. Ron Hubbard, was alive. After they got together, it was Scientology's mission to get Tom to join. But once they did, Mimi's father left the church and was deemed an SP. 
or a suppressive person. SPs can either be non-members or former members of the church. Technically, they're people who seek to derail the efforts of people trying to better themselves. Really, they're just people who are onto Scientology's bullshit and could potentially convince an active member to leave the church. When someone is labeled an SP, it is demanded that Scientologists cut them out of their life or, quote, disconnect. It doesn't matter if it's your parent, child, best friend. So in Mimi's case, she was expected to disconnect with her father. She didn't, though, and Scientology started to get worried that she might leave the church and take Tom with her. But they needed his celebrity status to elevate them, especially since his star rose after Rain Man in 1988. So, by 1989, David Miscavige made it his mission to break them up. When Tom confides in him about an actress he's attracted to that he met on the set of Days of Thunder, David encourages him to cheat on Mimi. Mimi found out what David was doing, and their marriage unraveled by 1990. And she did end up leaving the church soon after. Meanwhile, in 2003, Katie Holmes has her own brush with Mimi Rogers on the set of Dawson's Creek, where Katie played Joey Potter. Mary Beth Peel, who played Michelle Williams' grandmother on the show, was in the makeup room with Katie, Michelle, and a day player. Something came up about Cold Mountain, Peel said. I said, the thing is, Renee Zellweger is a wonderful actress. What has she done to her face? When that first movie she did came out about the sports guy, she was a normal person and so disarming. Somebody said, Jerry Maguire. Yeah, yeah, I said. Looking in the mirror out of the corner of my eye, I saw Katie making the motion for me to sip it. So I stopped talking. Nobody said anything. When the woman who was the guest actor was finished with her makeup, she left the trailer. The minute she did, all the others attacked me for talking about Tom Cruise. The woman had been Mimi Rogers. Then Katie launched into a big spiel about Tom Cruise being married to Mimi Rogers, Scientology, Nicole Kidman. She knew everything about him. She said, I have had a crush on him since I was 15 and his posters were on the walls of my bedroom. She could not stop talking about Tom Cruise. This was way before they got together, but she was certainly ready for him. She certainly was, but it would be another two years before preparation would pay off and she would meet Tom, the alien worshipper of her dreams. By the way, for inquiring minds, Mary Beth Peel played Peter Florick's mother on The Good Wife. In the article, she goes on to say that working with Juliana Margulies was, quote, heaven and Chris Noth was a bastard. Though Mimi was now in the rear view, David Miscavige now had a new set of problems in Tom's new love, Nicole Kidman. Nicole, our regal and stately queen of the outback. Looking into her turquoise eyes evokes the sensation of snorkeling among the Great Barrier Reef. Her neck, long and slender, like that of an emu, her fingers, as tall as the old gum tree that a magical kookaburro placed her under when she was an infant. 
Actually, sorry, technically, a kookaburro flew down from Australian heaven and delivered baby Nicole to Hugh Jackman, who held her as he zip-lined from the top of the Sydney Opera House to the gum tree, placing the swaddled babe underneath. Then he played the overture from The Boy From Oz on his didgeridoo to let the village folk know that the blessed child had arrived. That ethereal girl grew up to become one of our most treasured actresses, and some might say, Tom Cruise's real and only true love. Once his relationship with Mimi was over, he dove headfirst into his relationship with Nicole. Kind of like how Hugh Jackman dove headfirst into a lighting rig when he ziplined from the Sydney Opera House to the outdoor Oprah show stage. On Christmas Eve of 1990, the two married and the higher-ups in Scientology were already worried. Nicole's father was a highly respected Australian psychologist, and psychologists are automatically considered enemies of the church. They don't believe that anyone should seek therapy or use psychotropic drugs, and in LA they even opened a museum called Psychiatry, an industry of death. If you'll remember, Tom and Brooke Shields got into a feud after he publicly blasted her for going on antidepressants to treat her postpartum depression. And as far as the Brooke Shields thing is, look, you gotta understand, I really care about Brooke Shields. I, I think here's a, a, a wonderful and talented woman. And uh, I want to see her do well. And I know that... Uh, Psychiatry is, is a pseudoscience. But, t but Tom, if she said that this particular thing helped her feel better, whether it was the antidepressant or going to a counselor or a psychiatrist, isn't that enough? Matt, you have to understand this. Here we are today where I talk out against drugs and psychiatric abuses of electric shocking people, mm -hmm. okay, against their will, of drugging children with them not knowing the effects of these drugs. Do you know what Adderall is? Do you know Ritalin? Do you know now that Ritalin is a street drug? Do you understand that? The difference is no, this was no, not Matt, against Matt, her will, though. Matt, but Matt, this Matt, wasn't Matt, against your question. Madam, asking you a question. I understand Do, there's no, abuse of all of these things. No, you see, here's the problem. You don't know the history of psychiatry. I do. Because of her father, Nicole was dubbed a potential trouble source, which she was. Nicole was becoming aware of Scientology's abuses against their members. She started noticing that David Miscavige's aggressive tendencies seemed to be rubbing off on Tom. She didn't trust David. She saw how obsessed he was with her husband, that David was preoccupied with power and wealth. Nicole wanted to get Tom out of the church, and what many people don't realize is that she did so successfully for a while. In 1992, Tom started drifting away from Scientology. It became a lot harder for David and his Scientology handlers to get in contact with him. They tried for years to wedge themselves between Tom and Nicole, but they couldn't do it. In 1996, Tom and Nicole left to film Eyes Wide Shut. The shooting process was the longest film production in history, spanning an uninterrupted 15 months. During that time, Tom essentially lost all contact with the church. They did everything they could to bring him back to Scientology with the same commitment he once had, but nothing worked. It wasn't until Tom needed their help did he ever return to the fold. Allegedly, 
and I say allegedly because I imagine I'm wading into slander territory, in 2001, Tom got the idea that Nicole was cheating on him with her longtime Australian friend, Russell Crowe. Tom called his Scientology handlers in the midst of a downward emotional spiral. They jumped at this opportunity, getting him into emergency auditing sessions and arranging to have Nicole's phone tapped and also hiring private investigators to follow her. There's no official report of what they found, but he filed for divorce soon after and returned to the church with a newfound devotion. After Nicole, Tom dated Penelope Cruz for three years after they filmed Vanilla Sky together, which premiered in 2001. They broke up because though Penelope took a few Scientology classes, she was never truly on board with it. Tom was getting frustrated that his relationships kept dissolving because his partners weren't devoted to Scientology like he was. So, he and his handlers decided that they would take matters into their own hands. They were going to go out and find the perfect wife for Tom, someone beautiful and someone who was approved by the church. Shelley Miscavige, the now missing wife of David, was to be in charge of this new mission. At the beginning of their search, they looked through the talent that they already had, young Saitai gals. They found a 25-year-old woman named Nazanin Boniati in the Sea Org, which is an actual ship that Scientologists work on in nautical costumes. But that makes it sound like a fun, Disney-adjacent cruise vacation. It's really just taking the cult to the open water like road rules semester at sea. Same abuse and forced manual labor, just add Dramamine patches and JAG cosplay. Looking for a wife for Tom at Sea Org was a good instinct. The people who participate are the most hardcore Scientologists. Nazanin, or Naz for short, was born into the church, which was perfect for Tom. The only thing that wasn't perfect was she had braces and a boyfriend. So they convinced her to dump him, and then they took her braces off early, which is such an unfortunate waste of money. Luckily, she would eventually become a successful actress, so hopefully Invisalign set her up with an Instagram sponsorship. Nas's most notable roles were on How I Met Your Mother and Homeland. But back when she was 25, she was young, malleable, and had never worked before. Once Tom approved of her, she was swept up in a whirlwind, being moved from the Sea Org to living with Tom. Nas fell in love with him, but it seems like he didn't return those feelings. Then a few months later, David Miscavige decided for himself that he didn't like her. One day, she came home to discover that they'd moved her out of Tom's home and their relationship was over. Tom himself never broke up with her and never spoke to her again. After that, everyone went back to the drawing board. Erica Christensen was a consideration, but ultimately a no, which I find insulting. Like what, Tom? Were you not a swim fan fan? Was the Banger Sisters not highbrow enough for you? And don't get me started on Elizabeth Moss, who I always first call Elizabeth Olsen, despite Elizabeth Moss being one of the great talents of our time besides Michelle Williams. Listen, I do not love that Elizabeth Moss is a sci-tie. It's like finding out your fave is an anti-vaxxer. Luckily, it was really easy for me to throw out the art with the artist when Jenny McCarthy invented measles, but it's much harder with Lizzie. The one I love is one of my favorite movies, and Her Smell is now my favorite favorite movie, and it is a performance for the ages, and Elizabeth Moss could be a Sandy Hook truther, and I would look the other way. It's the closest I'll ever get to understanding the plight of the cerebral young white male being told he can't like Woody Allen anymore. Anyway, I can't recommend Her Smell enough. 
Tom Cruise would be so lucky to marry her. After exhausting the Lady Saitai possibilities, Tom made a list of non-secular Hollywood women he was interested in. His handlers reached out to women under the guise of having them come to the center to audition for a role in a movie with Tom. According to a former high-ranking Scientology source, they went for Jennifer Garner, Scarlett Johansson, and Jessica Alba, in that order. Jennifer and Jessica didn't bite, but Scarlett took the bait and came in for an audition. When she arrived at the address and found out it was the Scientology Center in Hollywood, she freaked out and didn't do a tape. Last June, this anecdote was brought up by a former Scientologist, Brendan Ty, on the Megyn Kelly show, hashtag rest in piss, and Scarlett Johansson responded with an official comment to Vanity Fair saying, The very idea of any person auditioning to be in a relationship is so demeaning. I refuse for anyone to spread the idea that I lack the integrity to choose my own relationships. Only a man would come up with a crazy story like that. So it was her integrity that led her to choose a relationship with Colin Jost? Okay. I guess she's being defensive because she doesn't want it to call into question the sanctity of their union together. However, the evidence is there that Tom auditioned women to be his wife, and that's how he met Katie Holmes. After Katie left Dawson's Creek in 2004, the 26-year-old did a now infamous interview with Seventeen magazine that ended up changing her life forever. In it, she talks about her engagement to actor Chris Klein, saying, I think every little girl dreams about her wedding. I used to think I was going to marry Tom Cruise. And just like that, her intention was shot into the universe. It was still over a year until Oprah would introduce America to the secret and the law of attraction, but Katie was about to manifest her deepest desire. This concludes part one of this episode. Next week, we'll continue with part two. Lay Do You Remember This is researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Dara Lane. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating and review. You can follow updates on the pod on Instagram and Twitter. And please, if you like the podcast, share it. Tell your friends. It's true what they say. It takes a village to make me famous. If you have any questions, comments, or show suggestions, please email this at gmail.com. So you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table, and I've put you on the list for Lay Do You Remember This. <laughs>